opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are in the you know, I, ascendancy I, within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that sort of hard left wing position. Hard sort of left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 fight on Twitter about Oasis. Oh yeah. <laughs> to be honest, mainly a fight what about? with uh, mainly a fight with Tom Disso, actually. Was it in Tom's mentions? But well anyway, some people were slagging off Oasis. So I I just obviously like steamed in. I said pulp weren't good, which I know you'd object to. I don't actually have a problem with pulp. <laughs> I just I, I just think that there's just a thing where like left-wing intellectuals of a certain age will always be like oh Britpop was terrible but I, I like Pulp and Blur or something and maybe not Blur so much but Pulp seemed to be like the acceptable Britpop artist to like so huh. I think it brought out my contrarian impulses where I want I want it, <laughs> I want it to be Oasis that are the acceptable Britpop band to like and in my world they are I'm... Yeah, I'd say, I don't know if I'm an expert exactly, but in America, Oasis is definitely much more well-known than Pulp, for example. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, that probably says quite a lot, because Oasis never even got that big in America, but they definitely no. they got big enough to like play the odd arena out there or something, like Madison Square Garden and shit. Um, sure. So basically, I've, I've just been in pitched conflict with with tom disso and, and, and others and in fact i i'd say there's there wasn't really anyone on my side apart from mark Seddon. <laughs> mark Seddon the younger uh was was on was on my side at least you had somebody <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah it would be nice if i had mark Seddon the older as well if there were both mark Seddons <laughs> defending me but unfortunately not no just the one who hasn't been on our podcast although he did actually Mark Seddon, the younger, did actually suggest the name for our podcast a while back. When I asked, uh, oh yeah, really? I asked, what should we call our podcast on Twitter? And he said, how about Real Politic? And I thought, oh, that's quite a good idea. I had no idea. Yeah, and we, <laughs> I, I, it's I, stuck. I think I, I just remember the idea coming via you, and I was like, oh, <laughs> it's Jack's idea. Oh well, of course, <laughs> I didn't have an original thought myself. You know, God. <laughs> <laughs> But it's funny you mentioned that contrarianism. I was having a similar thought last night when I was trying to explain why I don't really like Stephen King as a writer that much. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And I don't really know that much about his writing. I've not really. I've read some of his short stories and stuff, but I'm just like mostly. I'm like, ah, he's too popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, although I saw, you know, um, I think Pet Cemetery came out recently, um, which was an adaptation. Oh, yeah. Uh, film adaptation of a Stephen King novel, and um, I know yeah. I know wasn't there an older adaptation as well? Like, oh, I feel probably. like that was. I feel yeah, I feel that. like anything that gets made into a film now has probably been made into a film <laughs> at some point previously. It, it, it's a fairly safe bet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, it, I saw a poster at when I was out and about for Pet Cemetery, and it said um, from the author of it. And I was like, oh man, these must be, these are peak times for authors if Stephen King doesn't have <laughs> uh, sufficient name recognition to get his name on a poster. You know, isn't he like the right. most successful author ever or something? Like maybe until J.K. Rowling or some shit like that, but he is like spectacularly yeah. successful. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, so many movies and TV shows have been made out of his properties. Like, surprising. But, yeah, peak times for authors. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right, so in the last couple of days, obviously, has been a very sad occurrence, uh, which you, you messaged me about earlier. Yes, dear friend of the show, Robert Mugabe. Yeah. You will be missed. Yeah, we've tried to uh, ingratiate ourselves with the new ZANU PF leadership um, after Emerson Munengag were blocked and then unblocked us. Um, we 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 tried to worm our way back in, but the fact is that our connections in ZANU PF were to the Robert Mugabe faction of the party, um, and and so we are essentially. Uh, when it comes to being uh, connected to the Zimbabwean government, we are now, unfortunately, out in the cold, so to speak. It's very sad. It sure is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I especially loved how well the BBC was just, like, criticising him constantly. On the bottom of the screen, there was just this... All those text things flashing by, you know, mm. and it's like Zanu PF says, like we have lost a great leader of Zimbabwe, and uh, South Africa says a wonderful Pan Africanist yeah. uh, leader has died, and it, lots of various praise, <laughs> yeah, uh, from China as well, I think, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I saw a senior South African politician praising Mugabe, and then Piers Morgan, who's obviously an expert on African politics. <laughs> much more than any african politician piers morgan quote tweeting it like you're an idiot blah 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 what do you know about all this um and and um peter tatchell who's had a long time uh a long time kind of feud with uh with, with well with Zim- I, I think a feud is putting it a bit unfairly to tatchell he's been a long time critic of zimbabwe uh, and the government particularly on lgbt rights but i think in a way that it's just mm. turned into like basically cranky liberal interventionism um and 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 tatchell uh, did a tweet effectively saying um i mean i'll 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 actually i'll read the actual tweet there's one more mugabe tweet i want to cover before we um before before we move on but yes <laughs> by the way uh for those presumably this will air after the last episode we recorded which still hasn't come out but i presume uh 
people will have heard it by the time this comes out. So yes, we were right. Angela Smith did defect to the Liberal Democrats. Um, and <laughs> and I duly did a thread of all her anti-Lib Dem tweets. Um, but no, let me... Nice. Yeah, let me find... Cause it turns out, by the way, Angela Smith has done a lot of anti-Lib Dem tweets, more than your average Labour MP. She was fanatically partisan against the Lib Dems uh, until earlier this year. And there's this very, very tangible change in tone, and now she's one of them. Um, <laughs> uh, right, I just want to get this uh, Peter Tatchell thing. Here we go. Um, so Peter Tatchell tweeted, Robert Mugabe is dead. He was a liberation hero turned tyrant. He killed more black Africans than the evil apartheid regime in South Africa. His massacre of 20,000 people in Matabeleland in the 1980s was the equivalent of a Sharpville massacre every day for nine months. SHAME! In capital letters. Um, and I, I think that's just an example of... So, like, Peter Tatchell frequently now does stuff like he'll be like he'll post an article uh shocking endemic levels of homophobia in the black community and then he'll tag in like diane abbott and stormzy um he's always doing these, these really racially insensitive things and i think that his implication there that mugabe was basically more more, worse and more anti-black than apartheid South Africa is typically tone-deaf tatulism. Right. <laughs> um, and also he raises the massacre of 20,000 people in Matabeleland in the 1980s. Um, and I should... <laughs> Should point out that the wasn't that right in the middle of the civil war or it, something? It yeah. was, but also the um, military leader who is widely considered to have been most culpable for the massacre in Matabeleland in the nineteen eighties um, is current Zimbabwean president Emerson Mnangagwa. <laughs> <laughs> so that might be more a more compelling line if there really had been a kind of break yeah. in the Zimbabwean leadership, um, like as it happens. Matabele land is not really the right thing to um yeah it, it's not it's not exactly something that the uh the current uh zanu pf leadership is absolved of um finally uh the second mugabe take i wanted to touch on um is of course from friend of the show mike gapes <laughs> um, Incidentally, Gapes the other day was out in Gibraltar, watch uh, seeing a Liam Gallagher gig. All right, <laughs> I was just like, "Yes, Gapes boy." Uh, <laughs> anyway, Mike Gapes has shared a Times article by oh, I don't know some dipshit, uh, and and he's <laughs> he's basically just done that thing that like generally older people do on Twitter, where they just tweet out the a piece with the headline of the piece as their own you know as the text of their tweet, tweet yeah. yeah um so gapes has effectively just tweeted mugabe fooled me once i'm twice wise to corbin <laughs> and so <laughs> so it just conjures up images of mugabe like uh, hey mike how about you have a drink of this? This was a really good shit taken from our new Zimbabwean dairy farms. We've recently put back in the hands of our <laughs> black majority. Mike's like, oh, thank you, Rob. Don't mind if I do. Just has a little bit. <laughs> Soy milk. <laughs> Fucking lactose free. <laughs> 
I have been <laughs> I have been fooled once by Robert Mugabe and I won't get and fooled that... again. Oh. <laughs> and that's famously how Mugabe was directly responsible for tanking the Zimbabwean Bailey's market, like <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I, I mean, like, obviously, like, R.I.P. to a, a to a real uh, a real G, a real hero. Um, like, <laughs> hey, let me come up with um, a kind of a, a, a way of saying that with like plausible deniability. Um, so, so yeah, like you know, R.I.P. to a real icon. Uh, that just sounds positive as well. Uh, <laughs> I guess this is um, Patreon. A leading figure in African liberation. Well, uh, look, I will say a lot of um you know <laughs> most of the anti-Mugabe comments I've seen since his death have been from ignorant white people, but on the other hand there uh shall we say were flaws to the way he governed and you know black leftists who I respect a lot and who uh, do know a lot about African politics. I've, I have seen post stuff critical of Mugabe since his death. So if we, let's end this on a nuanced note there. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Although there's no reason to take anything like Piers Morgan and Katie Hopkins and all these dipshits. Like, they've all been tweeting non-stop about Mugabe since he died, and they don't know a fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Skies of a young girl who transforms the mulch into Bailey's and he comes out as milk. What else is on the agenda today? So, um, today Yair and I planned to talk about Mike Lee's latest film, Peter Lou. Um, which, I mean, just very quickly, like, did you like Peter Lou Yair? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Mike Lee in general. And yeah, it was a good movie. Good take. <laughs> yeah, one of the best um, films I've watched in ages, actually. But um, but we, we basically... Like that review you sent me was saying, you know, it was a great take on, uh, you know, working class uh, struggle. Yeah. Know? And I, I'm, historical times. Yeah, and I'm pleased that you mentioned that review because the reason that we pushed the recording back for a week was so that my my fellow culture editor at New Socialist, Rianne Jones, can um, can join us. Uh, and the PCI is talking about is a piece that she wrote for New Socialist, which is called "On Peterloo: Poetry and the Politics of Protest History." And um, for what it's worth, at New Socialist, we also published another piece on Mike Lee's Peterloo because, well, it's clearly um, there have been clearly there have been few films that have come out in the last couple of years that have uh, provided as much grist for the mill for socialists. Um, but Joseph Cousins actually wrote a piece for us as well called The British Left and Contested Memories of Peterloo. So um, we may not get it out before... Uh, I mean, no, hopefully we'll get this out before we get the uh, Peterloo episode released. If that's the case, you know, li- listeners to this, be sure to check out those two articles before... And, and, of course, watch the film before we address it on our show next week. Here, here. 
Yeah, and Rianne's great, by the way. Uh, she's written a lot about uh, about you know popular music, uh, including a book. I, I believe she's written a book or been at least one of I think three contributors to a book about the Manic Street Preachers and their album The Holy Bible. But the book by Rianne that I'm really interested in is a book published for Repeater, who, by the way, are who I'm going to pitch a book oh, to yeah. soon. Yeah, um, Rianne co-edited a book with Ellie Davis, but it's a book called <laughs> Under My Thumb, Songs That Hate Women and the Women Who Love Them. And, and the picture is uh, a kind of... Well, it looks a bit like a distorted version of the Rolling Stones Kiss logo. Um, you know, the lips, uh, the Mick Jagger lips. Oh, uh, yeah. Apparently the, the book covers uh, country, uh, sorry, murder ballads, country, metal, hip-hop, emo, indie, Phil Spector, David Bowie, Guns N' Roses, Tupac, the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan, ACDC, Elvis Costello... Jarvis Cocker, Kanye West, Swans, Eminem, Jay-Z, Taylor Swift, Combo Christ, and many more. <laughs> and of course, it, it, it's named after Under My Thumb, the Rolling Stones song, which is easily, yeah. Yeah, easily one of the most sexist songs I've ever heard. And, uh, <laughs> and even within the Rolling Stones canon, like that's up against some pretty stiff composition. Competition. <laughs> Because they've got like straight yeah, cat sure blues, is. which is just basically a song about statutory rape uh, in a po- in a fairly positive light. Uh, brown sugar, uh, you know. So yeah, well chosen title. But yeah. Um, anyway, we'll we'll basically cut that down to about twenty seconds of saying what Rianne's book is. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah. She, she's coming on the show, and I'm very pleased with that. Yeah, should be good. Yeah. Today we were, uh, we're, well, we basically me and Yaya just we sometimes get together and we just decide well we'll just record and we'll get something down, don't we? Yeah, as may or may not be obvious to our audience. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, we we didn't have too much of a plan. Like I say, our plan was to talk about Peter Lou, uh, but we. Uh, you know, we, we've put that off for a week. Um, I mean, while we're on Peterloo, I suppose, because I don't think either of us have been that film-focused recently. Uh, have you watched any films uh, since Peterloo? Um, I saw... Yeah, I remember. Okay, I mean, <laughs> I saw a Spanish film about the holocaust that i happened to run into on netflix from 2018 oh, okay what uh, was that called um i think it was called the photographer of mauthausen okay and it's sort of like it's since it's spanish it's from the angle of uh all those republicans who lost the civil war and how they were made stateless and sent to like german concentration camps and such okay um so it's not very focused on the Jewish Holocaust per se, but it is at Mauthausen and yeah, it's grim and 
lots of people get executed and stuff. And um, I just thought it was interesting because I've never really seen a Spanish film um, mm. in that vein before. And I was curious what their take would be. Not that... Obviously, it's pretty anti-Nazi, you know. Uh, they're, they're not not yeah. big fans, but uh, <laughs> you just yeah. just found like a, a twenty nineteen Francoist film, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, no, that sounds quite good. But, I yeah, no, carry on. Yeah, certainly, it takes an interesting sort of. The story is uh, like it, it, thematically, it's about the construction of reality. So, yeah, since it's about a photographer, and how, like there's that head photographer who is of course an actual SS member, and then there's the prisoners who help him out with the photography, and you know it's uh, it it shows in lovely detail uh, how the the Nazi propaganda machine wanted to portray uh, everything, and how they set photo photographs up uh, to look a certain way. And um, I, I, I think it's interesting and uh, somewhat overlooked, perhaps, that aspect. Mm. Oh, that does sound interesting. Um, I had I had the... I mean, it's a horrifying situation. Oh, and of course, at the end, um, at the end, Mauthausen is uh, like about to be liberated and the prisoners go ham on their uh, former captors, which is pretty fun. Oh, I bet. Yeah, <laughs> sounds uh, yeah, that sounds really good. Um, I um, I watched like uh, well, I, uh, like I said, I had this really horrifying situation where I watched a few films and then I think two of them weren't on Letterboxd, uh, and I I was like, I've literally never had this happen before. Everything is on Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah, the only films I've had to add to Letterboxd myself, which, believe me, I have done, that such is my commitment to uh, logging for films I've watched. And, like, there have been, like, British TV stuff from the 1970s. That's the only stuff that I haven't been able to find on there, yeah, and have... even a lot of that is on there. This stuff, it was just like, oh, one of the films was Spanish. So apparently that wasn't that didn't make it onto right. <laughs> on, on onto uh, Letterboxd, uh, and for that reason, by the way, I can't remember what that film was called. I'd have to get Netflix up to tell you. Uh, I, sure. Do they expect me to have a memory or something? <laughs> Fucking baffling that they. Were. By the way, it turns out that that film's English language title was Unbridled, which on Letterboxd goes to like some film about some horse girl. And its Spanish title was, because it turns out it actually is on Letterboxd, just not under its English name. So, uh, not that that punctures my entire point I was making to. Yeah, it's called Animales Sin Collar. So there you go. The other one was a Korean film called Office that I uh, thought could have been good, but I kind of lost interest. It, uh Okay. It just, uh, it just, yeah, it ha it felt like at the start, like it might have a bit of satirical edge, and then it kind of lost that as it went along, and the, uh, the kind of creepiness and violence and the implausible plot points, um, didn't do much for me. Um, okay. What was the premise like? Oh, uh, so this guy, uh, just like murders his family with a hammer. Uh, who, <laughs> some guy who's been working in this, you know, mundane hyper-competitive kind of office job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, everyone 
who works in his department. I don't know. They all just start get. Basically, he's like he's on the lam, uh, and it turns out he's hiding out in his office, uh, like in the office building. Yeah, and uh, people keep dying in the office and so on. Um, kind of, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, um, yeah I see how you could think the premise I, would go somewhere more satirical, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought it was going to be well, almost like kind of. Mike Judge's office space, mm. uh, just a, <laughs> kind of. Well, not that that's like. Not that Mike Judge has good politics. He's like a libertarian who goes on Alex Jones's shows. But I mean, office space is quite funny. Yeah. Uh, and 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 uh, and it does kind of. You know, you don't actually need to have good politics to make a good satire. I mean, it kind of does say something about the 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 mundanity of 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 you know working that kind of job at, at, at the end of history you know the turn of the century yeah. in this hope hopeless world where there's no alternative and you're just kind of punching the clock every I mean day. I could certainly uh, see how a right libertarian would also not like that idea <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 totally um I, well I mean Office Space I think came out in uh, 1999, which was the year of American Beauty, which is yeah. also about the mundanity of affluent middle class life uh, at the end of history. Or and around the same time as Fight Club, another thematically linked film. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, Fight Club. I'd say probably the better of those films. Although I've, I I genuinely don't know if I've watched Fight Club since the first night we ever hung out, <laughs> uh, 2015. <laughs> yeah. But pro- still, yeah, probably better. Uh... Probably better than uh, American Beauty, which has not uh, aged particularly well. I'm I'm sat in front of a giant poster of Fight Club, but yeah, honestly, I I, I don't <laughs> rep it nearly as hard as I used to. But yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> you are truly uh, your boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, all right. I've got a, a film. Uh, I'll, well, I'll quickly rattle off a few films. Uh, Q and A by Sydney Lumet is on Amazon Prime. Uh, I very, I, f- I found it very hard to get hold of Sydney Lumet's films from after the early eighties, after uh, perhaps the verdict, hmm. quite mediocre John John Grisham type legal thriller. Like if it's not based on a John Grisham book, it might as well be <laughs> very uh, very mediocre film. Uh, the verdict, but Paul Paul Newman is good in it. Um, but I've I've found it very hard to find any of um, uh, any of Lumet's stuff until you know basically before the Devil Knows You're Dead in two thousand and seven, his last film. Hmm. Um, but Q and A is on Amazon Prime. Uh, as much as I hate to promote that evil corporation, um, I yeah. do unfortunately have a Prime account, and um, Nick Nolte is in it. He's not in it as much as I thought. Um, he plays this corrupt cop. Um, I mean, I watched it within a few days. God, this is the second Kevin Spacey film that I've name checked, but I watched <laughs> Q and A uh, within a few fil- few days of rewatching L.A. Confidential, and um, there there are massive parallels in the plot. Except being a Limet picture, Q and A is New York to the fucking bone. Sure, uh, yeah. Whereas L.A. Confidential, obviously, is not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> um weirdly um it's got uh, a script um written by Sidney Lumet himself who almost never wrote uh, for his own films he didn't consider writing to be one of his talents um mm. i thought it was a fairly serviceable 
script. It was full of very hard-boiled dialogue uh, that reminded me, in fact, again, of L.A. Confidential and James Elroy. Um, and and uh, it's got that kind of, like, late 90s... Uh, sorry, late 80s, early 90s urban crime movie thing where race is just kind of present uh, in every you know round every corner yeah basically um it's just just racial dynamics uh factor into the film in the characters personal relationships in uh the police dynamic the dynamics between police officers uh because obviously it's a film like la confidential about police corruption the blue wall of silence uh and and of course race factors majorly in the police's interactions with members of the public um, in the film. Uh, Nick Nolte isn't actually in it that much. Turns out he plays the bad guy, the good guy, the good cop. So the <laughs> Guy Pierce character, uh, in, if we're talking in LA confidential terms, is played by, uh, by Timothy Hutton. Who the fuck is Timothy Hutton? Um, apparently- I've heard the name, but I don't know. <laughs> Apparently he's in... The three films I've seen him in are Roman Polanski's The Ghost Writer, which is that one where Tony Blair gets cucked by the CIA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Tony... Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he is also in Robert De Niro's film, The Good, as in directed by Robert De Niro, The Good Shepherd, a really tedious three-hour-long espionage thriller from 2006. And also, oh, well, and Q&A is the other one. So, um, <laughs> so oh, although it has got Dominic Chianese in it, a.k.a. Uncle Junior from The Sopranos, uh, who, in fact, uh, previously appeared in Lumet's classic Dog Day Afternoon. So, uh, you know, there are some good people in there, uh, especially Nick Nolte, but unfortunately, Timothy Dutton is a pretty uninspiring lead. <laughs> Thirsty, so are all the skeeters. I forget how everybody can recall. And I forget the purging and the screaming. It's milk over matter after all. How long will one be gone? How long will one be gone? I watched Four Brothers by the late John Singleton, a weird reactionary film with lots of bad um, gender politics, uh, particularly. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Mark, uh, Mark Warburg. So it's about four, four, uh, four adopted brothers, all adopted by this kind of saintly old white woman white woman in a kind of rough uh, mainly black crime filled urban area mm. um, like to, to be fair the film in its defense is directed by the late John Singleton who uh, who was for a you know probably like although he never his career never went as far as it should have done um, he you know maybe could have been one of the more interesting african-american directors had hollywood treated him right mm. the potential was there in films like rosewood and of course boys in the hood uh but four brothers uh it's kind of like a reactionary film with the odd like left-wing bit in it so <laughs> um uh there's obviously police 
racism and corruption gets touched on uh that that's the first kind of progressive bit but um like i say the the kind of uh, gender and sexual politics are so bad all the women are just kind of like whinging whining uh, ha- nagging harridans <laughs> all the um right all, all yeah all um and and so of the four brothers so like two of them are white and two of them are black uh the 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 um <laughs> so the the, the two uh the two black guys are portrayed by Andre Three Thousand and uh, <laughs> Tyrese Gibson. Okay. And uh, yeah, the last time I saw Andre Three Thousand in the film, he was playing Jimi Hendrix. Uh, I'd say he's a, you know, an all right actor. Okay. As yeah. Good as he is at rapping. Um, and 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 and, all, and the others are by uh, Mark Wahlberg and Garrett Hedlund. <laughs> uh, and Garrett Hedlund plays like the pussy brother, so he's the youngest brother, and he's like got long hair and uh, plays guitar uh, and is just like a wimp. And Mark Wahlberg spends literally the whole film showering him with homophobic abuse, uh, oh, but in a kind of like. Vi- this is actually loving banter sort of way mm. uh and and then so basically the you don't need to know the plot to this film, but like <laughs> the bad guys uh the bad guys corner them and they basically have some like um you know uh kind of like st- world war one style pitched gun battle in the middle of a residential <laughs> area and uh, and the the pussy brother gets killed obviously because he's a melt he's a wimp he's not a re- he's not a real man he's got long hair it, uh, it's basically like an outlaw where they, where one member of the gang has long hair and it's just a pussy <laughs> um but ba- yeah he gets killed anyway uh and and it, it's it's so jokes that they're, they're He's like lying bleeding in the street, and there's just been this massive gun battle, and like their house is in rubble and stuff, and they must have neighbors living in all the houses around. Yeah. They're like, call 911! Call <laughs> it's like, wow, I'm sure nobody has thought of that. <laughs> um, but then, as, as his melt younger brother is literally dying in his arms, Mark Wahlberg starts being like, don't die on me now, you big gay so he just starts like homophobically abusing his brother on his death bed, as, as he's word, dying no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so now uh, we've covered the, the the reactionary bits of four brothers i'll get to the left wing bit um basically what <laughs> so the bad guy is played by chiwetel ejiofor and um he he sort of runs the neighborhood and he he's shown throughout the film like treating his un, he, you know his criminal underlings like complete shit yeah uh, making them humiliate themselves and stuff to show that he's got control and then at the end um uh it looks like he and his gang are gonna kill uh marky mark and <laughs> uh wh- whoever else is in the scene uh but actually <laughs> What happens is, uh, so they've been mentioning throughout the union 
Uh, so, so, sorry, they've been mentioning throughout the film um, Andre 3000's character particularly and various supporting characters, including members of the criminal gang, that they used to be in a union. Yeah. They just kind of casually drop into it. Like, oh, you know, you know me, I was in the union. I never missed paying my dues. Like, I never missed a union meeting for years. <laughs> uh, they keep saying all this stuff and you're like, what's this got to do with anything? Is this just John Singleton putting his own politics really clumsy? into the film <laughs> uh, and and then right at the end i mean spoilers but uh they uh, all the whole criminal gang basically turn on uh chiwetel ejiofor uh, and marky mark beats him up and then they throw him into uh the ice they take him out to like uh, the middle of nowhere and just like throw him into into a, a hole in the ice <laughs> <laughs> after marky mark has a fist fight with him <laughs> um but 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 basically so there's they've got this thing where they're like uh he's like i'm gonna take your money now and 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 they're like well how about we give your mistreated workers this million dollars or something and then all the all the workers just start like kind of rounding on you <laughs> like um and so it's a very like uh, a very socialist kind of, uh, you know, few minutes. <laughs> socialist few minutes, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with a socialist few minutes. Um, it's like the five minutes of hate, but, but you know, good. <laughs> five minutes of socialism. But maybe something that's not so kind of politically righteous and pure in John Singleton's Four Brothers is the fact that even in the last scene, which I hailed as a kind of mini-socialist classic, it does feature Marky Mark beating up a lot of ethnic minorities. It happens throughout the film. It's very brutal, and you, j- you just know that the man has really like, gone method and committed to that role. Once I was shot by John Wayne it was towards the end That one scene's brought me a thousand drinks Setting you up and I'll tell it for you, friend Here's to the cowboys Riders in the whirlwind Tonight the western stars are shining And the western stars are shining bright again Till at the riders on sunset Glad my boots were on 
then the, the the other film that I saw was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino, which I saw. At the oh, nice! Yeah, how did you like it? God, it must have been about a month ago now, you know. But uh, I I liked it actually. Uh, it's got to the point where I, I you know I wish we'd have covered it because uh, like the, I wish we'd have covered it sooner because the day that we actually talked about being excited for it was was a couple of days before i actually went to see it so there's been uh, you know yeah. that episode's been out for a while and i've seen it for a while um yeah i mean i i thought it was uh i thought it was good you know i i, I came out of the cinema and i said to my dad like because uh, you know it's i think it's a very dad son film to go and sure. see um I, I came out of the cinema and i said to my dad like uh well you know that was uh a love letter to Hollywood. And then I was instantly like, literally every review will have said... A love letter to this Hollywood. This film is a love letter to Hollywood. <laughs> In fact, every review ever written of any Tarantino film probably... Uses the phrase love letter. And, <laughs> and quite rightly describes the films as, as a love letter to Hollywood. And in fact, I think I'd have had I'd had my that phrase put <laughs> in my head by listening to a podcast about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when somebody had said it's a love letter to Hollywood and then quickly started making fun of themselves for using such a trite <laughs> <laughs> So I think what we what we've established from all that is that Tarantino's new film is a love letter to Hollywood. <laughs> um, I uh, had thoughts on it at the time. I probably need to watch it again now. It's a bit too late to uh, to get into too much detail, really. Um, but um, I mean, a, a, a few things about it. Firstly. There's an uncanny similarity between the subject matter of Tarantino's new film and that of the new Bruce Springsteen album, Western Stars. Um, and I, I will explain. So Western Stars is not strictly uh, a concept album, but certainly... Um, I mean, but Bruce has made a kind of documentary film of it that includes him playing the song... Um, the songs uh, in a live setting interspersed with uh, him talking about the character that a lot of the songs are about. Um, and Western Stars, um, you know, the title actually, it sounds poetic, but it's actually very literal. Uh, the main character of Bruce Springsteen's Western Stars album is an actor who stars in Westerns, <laughs> which is indeed uh, what, once upon a time in hollywood is about as well oh yeah <laughs> um neither character the one played by leonardo dicaprio in once upon a time in hollywood or the one sung by bruce springsteen in western stars is particularly successful they're b-movie actors you know uh in once upon a time in hollywood dicaprio's character is at the stage of his career where he is guest starring as the bad guy in a highly successful western tv series sure uh and similarly yeah similarly um in i think it might be in the title track western stars on the springsteen album springsteen sings a line which is something like once i got shot by john wayne that scene bought me a thousand drinks 
which <laughs> you know, it seems to me to be a kind of character um, who's in the same boat as DiCaprio's one. Uh, there's probably more humour on uh, in the Tarantino film, but again, there's some. I think there are. They're not coming to mind, but there's some funny lines on the Springsteen record. There's a song called "Sleepy Joe's Cafe," which is so kind of lightweight. It sounds like Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> uh, there's an appalling song actually called "There Goes My Miracle," which is Bruce kind of uh, belting it out like Michael Bolton. Mm. Um, I, there goes my miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine of this huge orchestra behind him. It's uh, it's shocking, but there's about you know if if it, maybe the album was just, uh, ten rather than thirteen songs or something, I don't think there'd really be a duff one on there. Uh, there's a good st- song called uh, "Drive Fast" brackets the stuntman, and of course Brad Pitt in "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood" plays a stuntman who's best friends with, uh, with with the actor played by DiCaprio. So I don't know, I just thought it's really interesting that these two projects would come out at roughly the same time. And I gave it a Google to see if other people had had this brainwave yeah. and uh, <laughs> had made this connection. And no... Oh my... And, this is exactly what like the the modern think piece economy is all about. You find two zeitgeisty items of pop culture and you draw a connection between the two of them because that's two different audiences that might click on your piece. <laughs> yeah. It's really baffling to me that no writers from the online from from the blogosphere of 2019 or whatever you want to call it um have fought to uh, get some clicks off off this connection. Yeah, that is odd. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but hey, at least you had an yeah, original so, idea I mean, there. I think <laughs> I, at least, yeah. F- thank God for once in my life. Uh, <laughs> on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Western Stars. I mean, I think it should also be pointed out that. The album doesn't just sound like a standard E Street Band record, even a standard post-2000 E Street Band record with the kind of lavish modern rock radio production of Brendan O'Brien. Well, it's co-produced by Ron Aiello, who actually has been a serial Springsteen collaborator in recent years. But Aiello and Springsteen, who's obviously the co-producer, arrive at this kind of 60s and 70s California pop slash almost kind of countrypolitan aesthetic. So, I mean, it sounds like Glenn Campbell, basically, and of course, like the solo work of Jimmy Webb, who wrote a lot of Campbell's most lavish orchestral pop singles, um, you know, wrote beautiful words for uh, songs like Galveston. And I think similarly, that kind of lush, lavish production and arrangements, which mostly I think work on the album, not on that song, There Goes My Miracle, but I'm sympathetic to the idea as well that maybe it is a kind of slightly too slick. I mean, this is a very slick type of music, but slightly too kind of perfect modern simulacrum of what those kind of records were like there but i think there is actually another parallel with once upon a time in hollywood here which is that the musical choices in once upon a time in hollywood for a film that shows the 
kind of end of the 60s dream, although that's not really how Tarantino portrays it. He kind of shows the 60s as still ascendant, really, and the two main characters of the film are people who are being cast out at the end of the 60s. But Tarantino makes great use of the California aesthetic right down to the music, which is, I don't think specifically Glenn Campbell or Jimmy Webb, but certainly it's not, like, the Jefferson Airplane, the Grateful Dead, San Francisco bands at the time who were big psych rockers, uh, had, I mean, especially in the airplanes case, a kind of political stance. And it's not like the fucking Stooges or 69 era Stones or Crazy Horse, you know, the kind of stuff that was a darker sound, more for the days of Altamont. Kent State and so on. It's more like the mamas and papas and shit, <laughs> and that's fine. Those are Neil Diamond, I guess. Like those are those are great songs. But I mean, there's even that kind of aesthetic parallel between the music in Tarantino's film and the music that is on Springsteen's new record. Anything, anything else uh, to say about the Tarantino thing? Let me think. Well, uh, you know. It's a fairy tale, uh, really. I don't know how much I liked uh, the gratuitous violence towards the end. I ex- I think we were saying this about um, about Lars von Trier's last film in our previous movie chat. Yeah. But, you know, I certainly expected a bit of violence <laughs> in Quentin Tarantino, but I... Um, but when it actually came, I, I I did kind of think like, wow, you got through the whole movie without this, and and now it feels feels a little bit gratuitous, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but um, you know what? It's, it's, it's I I liked I liked the film for the most part, uh, and, and and but you know maybe I'll watch it again and get some more clarity on it, and you can maybe watch it, and then we could do. Uh, we could have a proper chat about about the uh, the movie. Yeah. Uh, I forgot Lena Dunham was in it. I don't know who she played. I don't remember uh, Jess Phillips being a character in the film or something. Um, <laughs> but but no, there's nice lots of nice little cameos in it. Al Pacino, Kurt Russell, Bruce Dern. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, some good people. Uh, Bruce Dern gets to lie in bed the whole time that he is in the films. Uh, <laughs> best life. <laughs> there goes my miracle walking away, walking away. Oh my god! I just uh, scrolled down on Letterbox and that. Fucking hack David Elrich has given it a three-star review. Has that man ever got off the fence in his life? <laughs> you should see his review. His review of uh, the Joker that's just come out. It's like, the Joker is good and bad. <laughs> the Joker is funny and unfunny. The Joker is shocking and unsurprised. And and he just kind of like throws this out as if it's a serious insight rather than just... I don't actually have an opinion on this. Just the ultimate liberal <laughs> when it comes to bets. film reviews. Yeah. <laughs> David Eldridge is in fact not just a massive liberal in terms of his approach to film criticism. He is actually a massive shit-eating liberal who loves Hillary Clinton and hates Bernie Sanders. So yeah, fuck David Eldridge, man. Fucking hack. 
Yeah, but, oh god, there's so much uh, kind of you know just liberal bet hedging in, <laughs> in film discourse. I notice, like just just giving that perfect three star review. So if the film's a critical success, you can be like, I liked it all along, and if the film's <laughs> a crit- get if a film gets critically panned, you can be like, well, I was a naysayer from the off. <laughs> Right, tune in next time, or maybe the time after that, for the rest of this conversation, where Yair and I will be discussing Robert Webb's classic Read Some Effing Orwell piece for the New Statesman. In a bit, comrades. Desert, nor a web, nor a tomb.
it's crowdsourcing. 